Welcome to the Real Marathon Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the best in film each and every week. I'm Rob Carraher. And I'm Danny Carraher. And today we're going to be talking about uh, blockbusters or popcorn flicks or whatever you want to call them, but those summer movies that uh, generally bring in a, a lot of revenue for, for these production companies and distributors, um, despite whether or not they, they may be good. Um, so that's going to be our focus today uh, as a film person that really isn't uh, as into those types of movies uh, because they generally aren't of as high of quality when it comes to the craft. Um, I, this is, this is going to be kind of a fun week for me because it allows me to think about some things from a nostalgic standpoint, uh, it, it allows me to view film and the movies as uh, something more than an art form and as more of an entertainment, um, has that entertainment value. Yeah, I think that with popcorn flicks, you just kind of have to meet them where they're at, you know, a lot of the time. And uh that's going to be something I, I, I'm sure both of us will talk about when we actually review Army of the Dead. Yeah. Um, so they, this is kind of an area that, especially last year, I didn't really delve too much into uh, these types of movies because they didn't come out. And uh, I, I, I just did, generally don't go back and watch a bunch of these um, cause there's so many other, other movies that I really want to see. Um, and so this summer it's going to be fun, uh, as we, as we head back into the movie theaters and, um, I just for that kind of experience of getting to watch movies with other people and on a big screen and with great sound systems, um, I'm really looking forward to, uh, seeing these types of movies. And, uh, I, I think that a movie like army of the dead, um, it, it's, it's a little bit interesting because this is a Netflix film and they don't really do these big in the theater, um, runs where people are going out to see them in the theater. These are meant for your, your, uh, living room or wherever you watch, watch movies. Um, and I, I think it makes kind of an, an interesting conversation about, uh, the, the future of the, these blockbusters. And um, if we're going to start to see more of this decline in the, the amount of money that some, some of these future films are going to make because we're, we're starting to get this hybrid where uh, there is value in bringing movies directly to people's living rooms um, in kind of this balance of... Uh, also being shown on the big screen and it's this ongoing battle um between studios and uh theaters and uh the, the way that these movies are presented and i think a movie like army of the dead um is a good example of this potential change in dynamic yeah i i think that there's a number of things that are contributing to this but one the pandemic really was a catalyst in making sure that um, movies like this uh, are, we, I mean streaming services might be our 
primary forum for seeing movies like this in the future. But also I think that TV is just going to be taking over a lot of these types of movies. And obviously like we want to say that there's always going to be room for these big budget movies, but um, you know, depending on how much theaters are affected by the pandemic and how well they reopen after a year of just being, you know, we're just relying on streaming services. I, I don't know about that. And TV, especially with shows like Game of Thrones, which still has a huge budget, but they get a really, really milk that because they, you rather than just a two and a half hour time that you're spending with an audience, you're spending 10 hours over 10 weeks with your uh, audience and you get people to talk about it. It's more time. So I think that in terms of a business move for studios and for streaming services, it makes almost more sense for them to want to go more of a TV route with some of these big budget type shows. And so that's why I think even though Marvel has a ton of movies that are, you know, in their, in the workings for them in production, I almost feel like the future of those types of industries is uh, TV because you get, you get to milk so much out of it. Well, and you're seeing that with Marvel um, that they're starting to invest more in the, these television series uh, and, and they're showing to be relatively popular. And you think about a, a show like Game of Thrones that um, on paper seems like the sort of uh, vehicle that you would want to provide audiences for a theater experience because they, it's bigger. Um, this is that, that show in itself is proof that audiences, they don't really care that much. Um, if they have a big screen at home, they're going to enjoy it just as much as, as they would going to the theater to see right. some spectacle like that. Um, and so, yeah, where I think we're kind of at this crossroads uh, and it, it, it's going to be interesting. It is really going to be interesting to see how that plays out. And I think we're going to get a, a good feel for uh, the future of the, the film industry this summer in, in the way that uh, people, whether people are willing to go out in and see some of these big time movies um, or if they are content just continuing to watch them at home. And I think that that's going to really kind of come to uh, this pinnacle of uh, decision-making for studios when Dune comes out a little bit later this year, because uh, that movie is very much made to be seen on the big screen, um, but they're going to do a split release with it uh, being played in the theaters and also on HBO Max. And so uh, it, it, once again, we have to recognize that for the, these companies, it's still a business. And right. uh, it's not necessarily about preserving um, kind of the sacred entity of going to the movies if, it, if they're going to end up making more money by uh, providing these films on a different platform. Um, so I think, I think that kind of allows us to uh, start to pivot to our discussion on uh, Army of the Dead, because I don't want to dig in too deep uh, right here. Um, but before we do that, I do want to 
talk about uh, a couple trailers that dropped this week um, that may have, uh, or at least there was some thought that they could have uh, a, a role in award season. Um, and the first one is Dear Evan Hansen in this year where we're getting tons and tons and tons of musicals. Um, it, it, this is one of the bigger names uh, that was was being made into a movie um, because it had such success on the stage because Ben Platt was reprising his role uh, as as Evan Hansen in this film and he had won the Tony for the playing this role. There was some thought that he may be considered um, again for for this film uh, as a huge. Dear Evan Hansen fan, I was really excited about the trailer. Uh, it, it, to me, was a fine trailer. Uh, I think that um, it, it'll probably be a average movie. Uh, but the big commentary around this is this idea of casting Ben Platt as a high school student. Um, and there was a lot of folks making fun of the way that he looks in this film and how it's just silly. Um, and it didn't bother me as much, but I think that especially when we are talking about musicals uh, and really bringing these musicals to a larger audience, is it necessary to cast uh, bigger name stars in these roles in order to sell the musical or can the musical sell itself? Um, and then you can focus on bringing a really good singer actor that maybe nobody's ever heard of before and potentially make them into a star, which this film decided not to do. Yeah. I, I haven't seen the trailer yet. I've seen, you know, the pictures of Ben Platt and, uh, it is kind of a um, Greece sort of situation where you have these like people who look like they're 30 years old playing high school students. And it's just kind of in Greece, it's much worse, but it's still <laughs> yeah. it's like it's 50, still, 50 year olds. <laughs> right. It's still bad. And uh, I don't know. I, I am I, obviously we're kind of a musical theater family. You know, we like musical musicals but I would say maybe in the re recent years I just musicals in movies or as movies have not done it for me and so I'm always skeptical of movie musicals um and I'm I'm I'll watch it I'll, there, I'm sure I'll enjoy parts of it but I just it all depends on how they they stage it I think because Dear Evan Hansen is a musical that as far as I know I've never seen it I've listened to the music of it um, it's got not a whole lot of huge ensemble type pieces and so that is a service to a movie musical because anytime there's a big ensemble piece it's really hard to do that on um, screen without it looking really corny um, I thought that even though people can critique this movie for a variety of reasons I thought that um, that Les Mis did a really good job of this. They have a lot of ensemble pieces, but they're showing people with cut scenes rather than showing people all together. And I think that's, that tendency is like, how are we gonna you know, get all these people in one place? You know, And it's like, I don't think that you do that. I think you have to kind of be using editing creatively in order to, to make musicals work on screen. 
Yeah, yeah. And I, I agree with that. Um, I was having a discussion the other day about uh, how the the transformation of a stage production into a actual movie um, when it comes to musicals, it, it doesn't work most of the time. Um, and it's because I think there is this, when, when you watch something on a stage and the, the environment is, is such that it, you already suspend your belief and you know that it isn't real. And so you're willing to forgive things that you are unwilling to forgive when it is set in a real world. Right. Um, and when you see that in film, it just comes across as corny a lot of times, especially when the sound mixing um, is, it has been clearly uh, recorded in a studio and then dubbed over. Um, then it just gets, it, it kind of ruins the feel. Um, and that's where I think when you, we talk about uh, like Les Mis, Les Mis did a really nice job of uh, sound mixing that film so that it, it, uh, I think they, they did everything live um, in order to give it a more authentic feel. Um, and it didn't feel so completely out of place. Um, but there's going to be so many musicals this year. So I think this is a topic that is going to keep coming up. And uh, I, I presume we will probably at some point in time do a countdown of best musical films um, and kind of bring in films that are have music at the center of what they are they are trying to uh portray on screen so we won't get too into that but um i think it is a an interesting conversation to to talk about especially with uh in the heights coming up here shortly um as kind of a blockbuster type film uh and this year might be a year where the musical definitely makes a a uh, kind of blockbuster return um, where people may get more into that. And, uh, you know, may, maybe that's kind of what we need this year um, where there's that kind of entertainment enjoyment factor uh, in a maybe sort of wholesome sort of way uh, that, that we haven't had in many, many years. Um, but as we return to the movies and people are looking for something more to entertain and less about uh, this mirroring of real life. Um, it's going to be interesting to see uh, what succeeds as a result of that. Um, so I, Dear Evan Hansen, I think, is going to be up there as probably a movie that will probably do pretty well uh, as a a blockbuster type film just because of its critical acclaim. I think a lot of teens are going to want to go see it. Um, and uh, yeah, we're going to see, see what happens uh, with that film. The other major uh, kind of award type player trailer that dropped this week is for the film respect, which is a biopic about Aretha Franklin with Jennifer Hudson playing Aretha Franklin and I feel like it's just every year there is a new film being released about a prominent uh, musical icon. Um, and so this is starting to become kind of more of a, uh, a, a trend. Um, and they're very Oscar Beatty roles. 
in films that generally aren't that good, um, but uh, gives a platform for these uh, either music artists to be an actor or actors to kind of show off their their uh, musical side of things. Um, and so this film, to me, it looks like uh, it, it could be a um, best actress type of performance. Um, I don't really know Aretha Franklin's personality so much. I just know her music. And so I don't know if Jennifer Hudson's portrayal is as good as it would need to be to be on that level, say, uh, Andre Day in as Billie Holiday, where she was pretty fantastic in that film, despite the film not being great. Uh, but I don't, I, I, I wonder if they're, they're going to start to get sick of these types of movies kind of it's in a different realm, but sort of like the, the superhero genre, which is becoming a little bit more stale are these musical biopics eventually going to become stale. I, I agree with you. I think I'm, I'm sort of just sick of biopics altogether. I, I think that, for an actor, it's probably kind of fun to be able to really try to work on portraying a real person. And But I also feel like it's less interesting because it's like you don't get to make a fictional character come to life. You're just imitating in some ways. And I know that's not totally true. There's, there's a lot, I mean, differences between the performance and then who the real person is. And every actor would tell you that. But I just, I, I like... There's a lot of biopics I like. I think they're good, but uh, you know, I think the best ones are ones that are about a specific time period or part of their life that isn't trying to capture their entire life. You know, um, and sometimes these biopics are just a vehicle of let's share this whole per this person's whole life story when like ultimately they're like trying to find conflict within the story to, to make it more interesting. That was a big issue I had with Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. It's a contrived story because they needed conflict where there wasn't conflict in real right. life. And uh, you know, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, no. I just think the biopic genre lends itself to just being about, you know, memorializing people rather than telling good stories you know i tend to agree with that um i think there are interesting ways that you can go about it uh rocket man i think was a pretty good uh representation of the the standard biopic being done in a creative more interesting sort of way um and making it not your typical biopic um even though it still follows kind of that formula of childhood to through career type of biopic. But then I think there are some interesting takes like thinking of Shirley um, about Shirley Jackson, where this is a person that people don't really know, um, but it's not, it, it's less about the uh, character uh, or this person, this, this uh, historical person and more about telling an interesting story. Um, and uh, I think that if they could do more of that, uh, then we, I, I, they, they become less 
formulaic and stale and i think they become more interesting well, um, another example just to redeem joe right after last week <laughs> <laughs> darkest hour i think is a it's not really a biopic but it's it's clearly winston churchill's the main point of the story but it's not about him it's about the role he played in a specific moment in history um so that's i think how you can do it in a way that is effective. Sure. And yeah, I admittedly have not yet watched darkest hour. Um, but, uh, I, I was going to kind of bring that up because yeah, it's about the event, but this character is at the center of that. Um, I am going to be interested to see there's a film coming out this year called blonde, which is, um, sort of a fictional take on, uh, Marilyn Monroe. And, um, and so it, it kind of allows for that juicy part for uh, an actor to play this role uh, who, of a historical person, but there's a little bit more um, artistic freedom to make this character who you want to make this character into. Um, there is the movie I'm Not There about Bob Dylan. Uh, where you had multiple people playing this Bob Dylan-like personality in different or representing different parts of his personality, so they, there there are interesting ways to do it, um, and uh, I, I hope that we start to see things trend more to a, a more interesting biopic, um, and I do not believe that respect is going to be that. Again, I haven't seen the trailer, so I can't say anything about it, but um, I'll definitely have to check it out. And then I'll probably end up seeing it this year. So. Yep. And I think why I think I'll probably end up seeing it too, especially with, uh, with Jennifer Hudson, very likely to be an awards player. Um, it will be worth a watch just to see that. Um, but I think this is kind of a good point to move into our discussion uh, on our film for today. Army of the Dead, as we uh, talk about it as this blockbuster type film that is being presented on our small screens at home. So when we return, we will be talking about the film Army of the Dead. Stick right there. And we are back talking about Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead, which uh, premiered in some theaters, I believe, last week. Um, but this week it is available to a wide audience on Netflix. And uh, so every, <laughs> this is the big movie um, to kind of kick off, off summer. Um, and so we're going to be talking a little bit about that. So what did you think about Army of the Dead, Danny? Well, I kind of have to think about it in two different ways. If I'm looking at it critically, I did not think this was a very special movie, um, but there, had, there were some entertaining moments to the movie. I ended up giving it a five out of 10 or two and a half stars, which is 
what we gave uh, Woman in the Window last week. Um, I think uh, very different, obviously, than Woman in the Window, but still some problems. Um, if you're interested in Army of the Dead, the, the story tells is about a um, group of people that come together. Basically, they're hired to do a heist almost in Las Vegas, which is basically surrounded by zombies. And it's all about getting a bunch of money that's buried in this vault in a, in a casino. And so that's basically the premise. And uh, I think that that premise is sort of interesting. They kind of, you know, from the beginning, I was kind of interested to see what direction they would go with, with this take on zombies. Um, I would say, Honestly, this movie didn't really become entertaining to me at all until they actually got into the Las Vegas barricade and they were kind of um, trying to, they introduced us into the world of the zombies. Um, I I have a couple other notes that I I was going to share about it, but I wanted to pitch it to you to see what you kind of thought about it so far. Okay, so uh, kind of unexpectedly, I actually liked this movie a little bit better than you did. Um, I ended up giving it uh, six out of 10 on IMDb or three out of five stars. Um, There were points in time where I thought about even giving it a little bit higher score. Um, But in the end, uh, I I landed on three out of five stars. Um, And I don't know if it's because I had lowered my expectations for this uh earlier this week i tried to watch Zack snyder's justice league i have his cut of justice league i had not watched the original one yet and i'm a huge batman fan um i really love uh most of batman's films i started watching this and i got about an hour in and i had to turn it off i knew i couldn't make it another three hours um And the tone for that film was so out of whack for me. uh, It couldn't quite decide on what, what it wanted to be. And that was extremely problematic. And I did not care about what was going on at all an hour in because they're telling multiple different stories and it was multiple films that didn't go anywhere in the first hour. And when they introduced the character of Flash and uh, there's this crash scene in that film and it just changed the tone entirely, the way that he interacted in that scene. I shut it off in the middle of that scene and I was like, I can't, I'm not going to watch the rest of this movie. I have no reason to watch the rest of this movie. And in a way it was kind of representative of Zack Snyder as a filmmaker where he spends far too much time on aspects of the film that don't matter. And by the time the film is supposed to get going, I don't care anymore. Um, And the thing about this film, Army of the Dead, that I think surprised me was that I was bought in immediately. Um, In fact, It's a little bit interesting because you said that you didn't really get into it until they got into the Las Vegas area um, and they started like really getting into the heist. Whereas I really enjoyed the the very beginning of the film, that title sequence 
uh, before the credits at the beginning of the film. I thought it was um, pretty well done and sent and set the tone for the direction that the film was taking. And uh, I think one of the things that I appreciated about this as uh, I watched it after trying to watch uh, Justice League was that um, Zack Snyder has a strong tone in this film and allows the film to play out with that tone um, where it's a little campy, doesn't necessarily take itself overly serious and uh, he's not a good screenwriter um, and the dialogue is not good, but because the tone was set the way that it is, um, I was able to forgive that corny, uh, unrealistic dialogue. And, and there were many times where I, I legitimately laughed out loud um, because it, it, it just was funny. The way it was presented was really funny. Um, and I may be kind of a sucker for, uh, these heist type movies. And I, I thought that it was, um, an, an interesting marriage between the heist and the zombie movie. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just, I, I was very interested in the direction that it was going, but as the film goes on, the excitement of what this could be starts to go away when it doesn't become that. Um, and uh, some of these characters that had a lot of potential to continue to develop into something special, they only ever are surface level. Yeah. And that's where it runs into some problems. Um, like I said, there was a point in time where I was like, Ooh, this film for me, could trend up to be like a an eight out of ten but it didn't ever quite get there and then it started to dip down for me mm. and uh and so yeah by the end of the movie i was like yeah uh i i can't i there's no way this movie could get anything more than um six out of ten or three stars um and it's because it uh, of that that Zack Snyder's inability to write a, an extremely captivating story. Um, he always just kind of goes a little overboard in certain areas. And this is a two and a half hour movie. That's about 45 minutes too long. Yep. I would agree with the length uh, comment there. It's just too long. Um, I, I want to talk about the title sequence that I did enjoy the title sequence, but I'm also convinced, especially after seeing the entirety of the justice league movie um, that Zack Snyder does not know how to start a movie. And I think that the teaser sort of, of this movie, which is that sequence with the, the military driving down the road and then those drunk newlyweds, I, I thought that was terrible. I was just thinking like, this is just a contrived way to introduce the zombies. And we could have done that better by getting Dave Bautista's character's background and seeing maybe his initial uh, interaction or first realization that there was zombies. And then we could get the whole story with his wife. That would have been so much more interesting because by the time they introduced Dave Bautista, they started into the story right away. We didn't get any time to know this character other than see him just beat the crap out of zombies and so like 
we see him flip a burger and then the guy's there to tell him he has a job for him. And so I, I just felt like it may, and I, I, I have a feeling that it's a mixture between the, the dialogue is not good. And I don't think Dave Bautista can carry a leading role. And that is, that's why I had a huge issue with the characterization in the story. And I just never, ever cared about the characters. And then when they introduced who you find out is his daughter, but I was kind of uncertain if that was his daughter after a little bit, like I was kind of like, I don't understand the connection yet. And it felt like that editing going back and forth was not super great. Um, Again, Zack Snyder loves to tell a story about multiple people coming together, but I don't think he's a good enough director to and storyteller to manage all of that. It's just too many people. And then like he had, like you said, he had characters who had the seed of being something really cool. And then they just stay stagnant the entire time. A character that I thought two characters that I thought were kind of cool and there were moments that I liked, I just felt like they just, I don't know, it ended up falling flat where the code breaker character and then uh, Van, uh, I can't, they call him Van in the, the movie. I can't remember uh, his full name, but yeah. uh, but they were interesting from the start. They kind of had, I think, some of the best dynamics and characterization within the film, maybe because those they were just a little bit more interesting. And then it just never went anywhere beyond that. Um, I, I think, and I just want to clarify something, when they get into the city with Las Vegas, I think the thing that drew me in was this, and I'm, I'm kind of a sucker for like sci-fi stuff, was this whole, you know, new idea that there are, that there was kind of these alphas of the zombies and their whole world, when you see the person get dragged in with them, was fascinating to me. I thought that was a really interesting part of the story. And notably, it was all visual. There's no dialogue. You could just follow kind of, oh, this guy's clearly the leader. They There must have been like a child involved in this thing and they're kind of recruiting new people um, into this. And I'm, I'm treading on spoiling parts, so I yeah. don't want to say too much. But... Um, I think that the that aspect was really fascinating, and that's why I was I was drawn in more. Um, I don't know if it fell flat necessarily, but it just didn't get to the point that I was really hoping it could by the end of it. But I I will say, in comparison to Woman in the Window, I was at least wanted to finish like this story and kind of see where it went. But there's times where they would have dramatic kind of moments. And I just felt like, oh, they didn't, this was not earned um, in this yeah. scene. And uh, that, that's just a testament to the bad writing in the movie. Just, and, and I think the performances were not good either. But um, I think there was a few good performances. And I think that that's why uh, some of those characters were a little more dynamic because the the performers a little bit more dy- dynamic, but yeah, I mean, there's nothing that's like, Oh yeah, that was a, an amazing performance. No, nothing like that. Um, but yeah, I, I think the dynamic of uh, this, this kind of zombie civilization was a unique take on it uh, where rather than it being, 
just your typical zombies. They, they, these zombies almost have some intelligence to them. Um, and that they, they have an operating civilization that's beyond, uh, what, the humans have as well. So they have these kind of conflicting ideas. And I think it, it had, it had the opportunity to make some uh, kind of social commentaries that, that it seemed like it was starting to be a discussion on some of these ideas. And then it, it completely gets away from it. It never finishes it off. And I don't know if it's uh, Zack Snyder just being unable to do that or he's afraid to even attempt to really uh see that out um but that that's where you get these kind of shallow characters that it's like oh yeah this is an interesting person and then that never goes anywhere um and they they kind of at times it seems like they are setting you up for something and then they ruin it by by the way that they mishandle some of some of the situations that play out and you don't have the complete buy-in that you need in order for it to be affecting. Um, and, and I think that I, to an extent appreciate the, the fact that it was headed in that way, but then that's what allowed it to completely fall flat. Um, when, when the film ends, it's kind of like, Oh, okay. Um, what was the the point? Mm -hmm. uh, what what were you trying? What was the message you were trying to tell? Because it seemed at times like they were trying to tell a different message throughout the film, and then they ended on one, and I was kind of like, "That's not really the one that I was most interested in." Mm -hmm. um, and and you let the other ones float out the window, yeah. um, and then without spoiling anything, it's like, okay, we made this film. Now, hopefully you liked it enough that you're going to see the next film that we're going to make. Cause there's clearly going to be a second film um, based upon the way that this one ends. Right. And th that is, I think the issue is that Zack Snyder is a storyteller that is, he's so big picture that he is not thinking about like how, the little details build up to create some issues for his story. And like, oh man, the, the kind of ridiculousness of all of the, you know, hoops that they have to jump through in order for this plot to work. Like they can't fly into the city, but they can fly out for some reason. <laughs> and and uh, the fact that they have to move the bomb dropping uh, uh, 24 hours er, sooner so that it creates more tension. I mean, like it, I understand that that like adds, you know, especially for like just a blockbuster movie, if you're in the theater, your, your adrenaline's pumping. Oh no, that now they're really racing against the clock, but that adds something, I guess, entertaining to it, but it's not quite, you know, I, I guess I am like, I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't really work for me. I think the other thing that you had mentioned earlier that I think worked sometimes, but didn't work others is it does have a quirkiness. It does not take itself super seriously, which is good, but sometimes it felt like it was kind of, they were writing the story through a formula and it's like, all right, now we need a joke here. 
And then sometimes those jokes just did not land. And I don't know if that's because the performances weren't very good um, or if it's just the writing, but I know the writing was a combination of that. I mean, Tig Notaro, who's in this, is a funny actress, you know, but like her dialogue is so bad that it's never like they, they, they pretend pretend that she's this like really wacky crazy character but the dialogue nothing she does or says is ever that crazy it's just in the delivery and the style that Tignotaro has which that's so, one of the better characters um because she's an interesting person right and but like again it just is it it uh is just kind of writing in a formula and it doesn't it it's kind of like, oh, well, if we kind of phone this part in, the audience will kind of buy that this is this is the joke here. But I don't think those jokes land sometimes. Yeah, there, the film at times, even though I think it does some interesting things, especially like the idea of it being a heist slash zombie movie, I thought was interesting. Um, and the kind of that zombie civilization was interesting. But despite that that part of it was kind of a unique take. Um, everything else around it was so formulaic. Right. Uh, it, it was like, okay, we know what's going to happen now because uh, this is how this sort of movie plays out. Right. Um, and so it, it, it wasn't creative in that sort of way. Um, and that's where it's like, oh, well, it's just another Zack Snyder film. But here's the thing that's interesting about Zack Snyder. Um, I'm not obviously a huge fan of Zack Snyder. I've seen a handful of his films. I haven't seen everything, um, but none of them ever live up to the hype. Uh, they always fall short of what, what the kind of uh, social expectations are for these types of films. But I was interested to kind of look and see um, based upon IMDb score and the critics meta score, uh, kind of what the comparison is between all of his films. And on average, audiences are like the average person is rating. If you were to transform the meta score into an equivalent of an IMDb score, they're averaging about two points higher. So uh, they might give a film a seven, whereas critics are giving it a five. And that's the case uh, on average for all, all of his films. Um, and so clearly audiences don't care that much and they're just there to see the spectacle of it. Um, and uh, I think we kind of have this uh, almost battle between um, making something interesting and then, or just making something that completely uh, a visual um, spectacle. And one more thing that I kind of want to say before we talk about the visual aspect of this, because that's really where Snyder is at his strength, um, is the visual and uh, effects, like sound effects aspect of filmmaking. Um, we talked about social commentary and uh, something that I thought was interesting toward the beginning of the film was the, the roles that he was giving female characters um, and I was like, Ooh, he, he's making a, a social comment, um, about the role of females 
in uh, action films or these types of films, because there's a lot of female, like strong female characters that kind of equal. I would say, I think it's almost exactly equal. It, but but I feel like they are were characters at least at the very beginning that really kind of held their own, um, and then he kind of throws that away, <laughs> uh, like he had a chance to really make a huge statement, um, but uh, he didn't care to make that statement, um, even though it seemed like it was leading up to that. Um, there's a scene in the film where clearly one of the female characters is kind of has this cathartic moment with a male character um, that, that was very obviously making a statement, but it, it kind of just leaves it at that. And uh, I I feel like they could have done more to continue down that path. And maybe that's my uh, political viewpoint of the world. Um, But uh, that to me was setting up to be something interesting and it didn't get there. Yeah. Um, I would agree with you. And I mean, like this movie starts with a politically interesting, not starts, but after the, you know, opening credits, that's a politically interesting moment. It just never, that just is total background and exposition for the story. It doesn't, matter really for anything that actually happens right right Um, you want to talk about the visuals of this this yeah yeah so Zack Snyder uh there are times in his films that I think they look fantastic um where he's about all about trying to create a very visual spectacle um sometimes I think that he goes a little overboard uh and uh it doesn't look as good in this film overall. Any of the CGI that he used, I thought looked pretty good. Um, I don't know how much of it, some of it was CGI and how much of it was makeup. Um, but uh, it, it wasn't like some, there are some times in the justice league or any of the DC type movies that he has done where it's like, that doesn't look good at all. What are you doing? Like, this looks like a video game. Like that's how bad the CGI looks. And I am unwilling to forgive that in those situations where you have humans that are actual people. And then all of a sudden they look like a video game character. I didn't feel that that was the case at all in this movie. Um, And that for somebody who's very visual heavy that uh he for this movie he did it pretty well and i would not be surprised at all to see this movie getting some uh visual effect nomin effects nominations by the end of uh the award season yeah i i mean he's using real people at any moment to play a zombie i think until they get killed like until they're and that's just their head essentially is you know but like the i i thought it was you you know i think i think about you know what they did with those hobbit movies with the trilogy of hobbit movies and they decided to go full cgi with some of those orcs and that and that was such a terrible terrible choice for that movie those movies weren't great to begin with but like when you have an uh, uh, antagonist in the movie that 
does it feel grounded in reality? It doesn't look real. That becomes a problem. I thought that like the look of this alpha zombie in this, because he was real, it was that much more intimidating. Um, I don't know other than, you know, maybe a couple moments, maybe when he's running or, or a couple scenes, I, I think he's never CGI'd, you know? And so, yeah. um, and so I think that's a big testament to uh, the, I think that not only the visual effects, but um, you know, makeup and yeah. you know, how they're um, deciding to make this feel real. It's not like, I never saw World War Z, but even from the clips of World War Z, it looks, I mean, it's, I think completely CGI maybe other than some of the close-up interactions with zombies and they're going so fast. This didn't feel, you know, it didn't feel too much at times. You yeah. Know? These zombies are more human-like and I think that that, that makes it more appealing <laughs> um, and part of why the, that kind of social zombie dynamic is more interesting is because they are more human-like um, but yeah, the, the, yeah, that visual, the makeup, the way that they were able to portray these zombies, I thought looked really good. Um, and obviously we don't know what is coming. Um, I presume that Dune is going to be a big visual player. Uh, but, uh, I, I think this is probably going to be, especially for a big action type movie, um, is going to probably be one of the better, uh, visual effects slash makeup that we're, we're going to see this year. Um, and I, I, I thought he did a good job uh, with, with that part of it. One thing that I do like about Zack Snyder, and maybe I am alone in this, is that uh, I, I like that he brings in kind of pop songs um, and makes it part of the way that, that things play out. And I really, <laughs> I think part of the reason I liked the beginning is with the Viva Las Vegas, uh, Richard Cheese um, cover and yeah. how it just seemed to kind of fit that the tone of where, where the film was, was headed. Uh, and so he did, I think, a good job of bringing in songs that, that fit the tone and not necessarily using the original recording of those songs um, to kind of give the film a certain feel. He, I, I didn't mind it at the beginning, but then he did it in the middle, right before they are like about to go on their trip. And I can't remember what song it is now, but I, as soon as I heard it, I was like, I just, sometimes it bothers me. I, I would, I would rather him use the original version of a song or just have rely on a score for his movie. Uh, cause, cause then it, it, sometimes it takes me out of the moment. You know what I mean? I feel like with the uh, that title sequence, because it has the, you know, it's it's very much just kind of filling us in, but it does so in kind of a visual visual way that's interesting. Um, I was okay with it. Speaking of that, real quick, and I I don't want to go off on a tangent too much. I liked for some reason I really liked that sequence where it's the guy who's coming down in the parachute, and like he's coming down on top of the zombies, and then the parachute covers him, but then you see the like blood splatter up yep. on the parachute. I'm like, that's like I think an, a cool way to do it. I mean, it's, you know, he, he's definitely goes all out with the violence, blood and gut stuff in this movie. But I think that's like a, 
rather than just showing somebody die the same way a thousand times, that's yeah. a cool way to show a, a death scene in a zombie okay. movie, I think, you know? And so that, for whatever reason, really stood out to me. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I think I, I, I agree with that. And I think that uh, there are, were some interesting ways to to show some different deaths. There was a lot of the same, um, just because they kill a ton of zombies in this movie, a ton um, and, uh, I don't, I, I appreciated kind of the over the top, um, goriness of it because it is a little more campy. Um, yeah. and, uh, I think it works. I think that, that part of it works. Yeah. Um, so I, it's a messy movie. Uh, it's nowhere near being a great movie uh i'd say like i you put it at about average i put it slightly above average and maybe some of that is just me comparing it to Zack snyder's other films um but other than the fact that it felt a little long and he always has some issues with pacing um i was at least interested in seeing where it went the entire time um and it never lost me in terms of that um like i i want to know how this this ends Mm -hmm. Um, and even though I didn't particularly like the ending, uh, because I think I just didn't think that it, it brought closure to what, uh, it needed to, um, it overall, it was, I don't regret having watched this, this film, whereas I kind of did with the woman in the window. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and so I think that that says something about this, this, uh, most recent Zack Snyder film. I think that I can comfortably recommend this movie to you if you really like uh, action movies, if you're really into zombie movies, for sure watch this movie. Because I think this does do something interesting with its take on zombies. It's not, it's, I don't, I haven't seen a ton of zombie movies, but this feels different um, from what I have seen. And so if you, if that's your, cup of tea then i would say go for it because this is it has entertaining moments it's just messy that's the only thing all right now you, I, I back that up so if you are interested in this type of movie it is on netflix um so free with your subscription to netflix uh if you're just wanting a, a night in and watch something that's fairly my, mindless uh i say go for it um but when we return we're going to be talking here about our top five favorite uh, blockbuster type films. I'll give details of what that kind of includes when we get back. Um, but uh, I had a lot of fun with this. So stay right there. And when we return, we will count down our favorite blockbusters. And we are back talking about our favorite blockbuster type films of all time. Uh, this is obviously a, a area where it can end up kind of going way off and you can pull in some films that I wouldn't typically consider to be a real blockbuster type movie. 
um, because they just happen to make a ton of money. Um, so we have films like The Godfather uh, that that we really wouldn't consider to be a blockbuster type film, but ended up making a ton of money. Um, we started this conversation uh, trying to zero in a little bit and uh, was something to work on or to work with. Um, and so when we began this discussion, we were taking a look at some the films that were in the top 100 uh, highest grossing films when you included like the adjustment for inflation. Um, and then we, we were able to kind of build off of that a little bit. So some of the films on here may not quite be on that list, but are certainly considered big time blockbusters. Um, and, and so that's, that's the way that we went about this. Um, from my point of view, these aren't necessarily the highest quality of films. Uh, there are some ones that I left off that I would probably give a higher rating. But when I think about blockbusters, I think about uh, the theater going experience. I think about the nostalgia that comes along with that and how uh, what I really like about some of these movies is, are, are the way that um, they kind of make me feel about that time period that I saw, saw the movie and just the enjoyable experience of seeing these things for the first time. Um, and so I think I have a pretty good mix here of different, different movies um, that, that mean something to me. Uh, and there are a few that I didn't quite get to include that I had considered. Um, and those, I have four. Those four are The Lion King, the original Disney uh, cartoon version of that, not the live action one. Um, so The Lion King, Back to the Future, Jurassic Park, and Twister. And a lot of those, I think, are, are all movies that are going to probably end up on a lot of people's top blockbuster lists. Um, just movies that are very watchable over and over and over again. And uh, in a way, they're somewhat comfort films for, for people that when they, they just need to not worry about uh, their, the things that are happening in their lives, they sit down and they watch these types of movies um, like The Lion King, Back to the Future, and Jurassic Park. And Twister, even though Twister <laughs> is kind of scary when you think about it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I like Twister. I think it's a good movie. I, I didn't have any of those on my list, but I had Black, Back to the Future as kind of an honorable mention. Uh, Coco, which actually did pretty well um, in recent movie that I thought was good. Uh, my biggest common denominator as I was thinking about blockbuster movies was it had to be a movie that had spectacle in some way. And that is, I think, the thing, the moment for me where I am kind of lost in the movie experience and I'm just even if it's not the most you know amazing story I'm just kind of along for the ride and uh, I think I'm sure everyone on your list has that aspect as well so 
All right, so I'm going to start with number five. Number five was kind of, it was a movie that I considered not putting on this list um, because it maybe doesn't fit as much into the idea of a blockbuster, but I just kept, I was just drawn to it. And I've watched this film um, at different parts in my, or at different uh, times in my life where my understanding of what is going on and uh, what the impact of that is to me as a person um, has kind of changed throughout my life. Um, and so my number five movie is The Exorcist. Um, and for the time period that The Exorcist came out, it, it does some things that are pretty dang impressive. Uh, the way that they are able to um, portray this demonized girl for a film that was made in the 1970s is pretty incredible um and it's haunting uh and i think maybe because it isn't um a hundred percent real feeling it almost makes it that much that much creepier but uh in my opinion this is probably one of the mo most haunting horror type movies of all time. And uh, I, I try to put myself in a position of going to see this in the theaters in the 1970s, because clearly I did not. Um, and I, I can't help but think that had I left the theaters at that time, that it, I probably wouldn't have slept that night. Um, because it, it is it is a terrifying film that uh, you know, probably was one of the first times that many people who went to see this actually saw anything remotely close to this. And growing up as a Catholic, the idea of this happening seemed like a real possibility when I was a child. And, and that haunted me even more. Um, and, and so, yes, it, it has fantastic performances. Um, it looks amazing. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I think that The Exorcist deserves to be in this conversation, um, even though it maybe not doesn't fit exactly in with what we would consider to be a true blockbuster type film. Well, and also The Exorcist is, is the movie that all possession movies, movies about demons possessing is essentially inspired by in some ways. And so you know, everything kind of has to live up to that standard. You'd mentioned that uh, it is not always real looking. And I think that that's true. But the fact that they're using makeup and it's real people, there isn't really um, spec uh, visual effects at this time, obviously. So they can't do that. Um, that. That allows you to feel that it is real, you know, and feel that you can buy into it. And so that's a good segue into my number five pick. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of cheating already, but I said my number five pick is the entirety of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I decided to use it as one movie because it was basically made all in one go. It was kind of designed to be that way in a sense. So that's my excuse for it. But in terms of 
it has the nostalgic value. I remember it's probably one of the first DVDs we ever owned at our house growing up. And I watched the Fellowship of the Ring multiple times. I remember seeing uh, Return of the King in the theaters. Uh, I think, and this is how it connects to The Exorcist, it's at a perfect time in uh, movie history, I think, where we had not gone off the deep end yet with visual effects. And he, Peter, uh, Peter Jackson is using real characters for many of those, real actors, I mean, for many of those battle scenes. And so, I mean, in terms of a production standpoint, that's a big tact, or, you know, challenge that you're gonna have to figure out, but he does it successfully and adds so much reality to that world. I mean, it also is a story that is bringing to life this beloved book series. And it made that book series all the more prevalent in our current lifetime. And it's also one that many of the book lovers also really enjoy. And that's not the case with a lot of book adaptations of beloved stories or uh, movie adaptations of, of, of beloved books. And so uh, I think it's doing a lot of things that are just really impressive. And I think given the time period it came out in, it's at that sweet spot that allows you to just kind of be drawn in and not, not worry about, is this actually real? You know, is this actually, you'd never really question that because it feels totally authentic and real, even though it's middle earth, totally fictional. So um, that's my number five pick. And I think that, that that's an excellent pick. I've never been as big of a fan of Lord of the Rings. I don't particularly love um, fantasy type movies. I also don't love very long movies. Uh, I am probably in a minority of people that, that I don't love television series simply because it just takes too long to get to the point um, and sometimes feels... Uh, like you are going down a road that once you've invested the time in it, you're not never going to get that back. And um, that, that can be bothersome to me. Um, I, I definitely appreciate the, what Lord of the Rings was during that time period. Um, but uh, it, from my standpoint, it is a film that is, it's a film series of films that are overrated um and uh and so i i did not include them on my list um my number four film is the initial toby mcguire spider-man um when i first saw that film in theaters i it was a superhero movie unlike anything that I had seen up to that point. And I think that this kind of continues to build on our discussion of being sort of a pioneer um, and maybe why a lot of these films are being included in, in this conversation is because they, they were the first to do certain things. And I think the initial... Spider-Man movie by Sam Raimi is kind of the start of this time period where all of these superhero movies were coming out. Um, up to that point, they'd come out from time to time. Batman was really the, the main one. For a while, you had Superman. But 
uh, I think Spider-Man kind of set a precedent of what the superhero movie could be. And all of a sudden, everybody wanted a piece of that pie. Um, and uh, I, I think that this one in particular um, has a really good uh, kind of balance between a, an intriguing story with pretty solid performances uh, and also the kind of spectacle of a, a superhero type flick. Um, and so I, even though it's not my favorite movie, uh, it still has kind of that special um, place in my heart because it was a surprising experience. I was not expecting it to be what it ended up being. And I don't remember how many times I ended up seeing it in the theaters, but it was definitely more than once. Um, and then I watched it many, many times after that, once it, uh, came to DVD. Um, but yes, I absolutely loved, uh, Spider-Man by Sam Raimi. I love that you included Spider-Man. I did not include it on my list, but it's, I think you're totally right that it is kind of the catalyst for the super superhero era we're in. I feel like those Batman movies starting in 89 to I think 97 when George Clooney played Batman what felt like a different era of superheroes and I think that one played into the campiness all those superhero movies did and didn't feel grounded in reality and while Sam Raimi's Spider-Man isn't totally grounded in reality like a Christopher Nolan type movie it is more so than the Batman movies from the uh, 90s. And so uh, I think it does lay down the groundwork and it says, okay, we can play with a character that is a comic book character that um, is definitely campy um, and we can have it have this sense of reality. And like you said, I actually think Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dunst have really good performances in that. Yeah. Young James Franco isn't fantastic, but he's, you know, at least interesting and engaging to watch. He's not bad. Um, you have Willem Dafoe. I mean, that's a good cast. And then, well, and then Willem and, Dafoe is one of the better superhero villains that yeah. has ever been in a movie. And, and that you're right in saying too, that it's, it's got a good balance too, because the, it is not focused on the superhero spectacle as much as some superhero movies are. It really allows us to see Peter Parker's story as a character. And that's what, that's what makes, I think, a good superhero movie is the person behind the superhero. Um, yeah, that, that, that person has to be as interesting as the superhero themselves. And that's very much the case. It's, it's the way that you can connect to these characters on a personal level rather than it just being a uh, popcorn flick, big budget, I'm going to kill some people type movie. Right. right. Which I think is where uh, Zack Snyder fails because right. his superheroes, they don't have any depth. Like you don't care about them as human beings. So you don't buy into that. Um, right. So yeah, when you, when you have a, a character like uh, the Peter Parker Spider-Man that Tobey Maguire um, portrays here, like you care about him and you, right. you worry about his well-being, um, but then you're, it, that gives you a reason to root for him even more at times. 
And Toby Maguire is, is, you know, he might, he might be an awkward actor, but he also might just have been playing Peter Parker awkwardly. You know what I mean? Yep. And you, it, it, even though it's cheesy at times, like it makes him more likable, you know? Uh, and so it's, uh, I love that you included that. I, I, I feel like I kind of want to include it on my list now, <laughs> <laughs> but um, my number four pick is specific. I, I didn't do the whole series this time, but specifically Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back. Again, I am not obviously old enough to have experienced this in the theaters, but like you said, when you, you put yourself in the, the experience of what this must have been like, Star Wars, what they later called A New Hope that came out in 1977 would have would have been a totally unique experience. I have this big thing about how I think Hollywood is so afraid to make original uh, fantasy science fiction movies, typically. They base it off of uh, previously kind of uh, vetted material in terms of it being a book or something beforehand. Um, but Star Wars is wholly original. I would have been out of this, my imagination to have seen something like that. And then to have seen A New Hope and then in 1980 to go into uh, see Empire Strikes Back and have that world opened to a whole new degree and then experience the infamous twist of Luke, I'm your father. You know, I, I think that is uh, you know, in, in terms of just a moment in cinema history is, is something that is, uh, I don't know, it kind of gives me goosebumps to think about how one moment can have a profound impact in pop culture, you know. Um, and again, thinking about the technical aspect of the movies, this is a, a time frame where like some of the technology made in Hollywood was being developed to create the Star Wars movies. The cutting edge technology was developed so that these movies could come to fruition. And so like we have, again, a, a, another movie on our list that kind of is the catalyst or kind of the, the, the precursor to so many movies to come. So that's why I think it deserves to be on my list. Yeah, uh, I, I did not include any of the Star Wars films on my list, knowing that you probably would include some of the Star Wars films. Um, I enjoy all of the Star Wars films. They just are not, I, I am not as big of a fan as a lot of folks out there. Um, and so I wanted to include some some things that, uh, that may be a little bit different, uh, knowing that we probably were going to have a little bit of a conversation about um, Star Wars at some point in time. Uh, that is not to say that I don't recognize the cultural impact of Star Wars and that they are kind of the quintessential um, blockbuster when it comes to uh, what people expect when they go to the theaters to see something very entertaining. Um, in a way, it, everything kind of gets compared to a film like the Star Wars franchise films. Um, and then they even compare all of the films that come out 
within that franchise against each other. Right. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I think that you have more recent, uh, more recently with like the, the Star Trek uh, reboot that they did um, that ends up being very much a, a comparison to the, the Star Wars franchise. Um, so yes, it, it is a hundred percent kind of the, the standard for what is a blockbuster today. Um, my number three, I probably could have uh, exchanged this film for others in the franchise. Um, but the one I chose is probably a film that many people would not include in this conversation. Um, but because it has a special place in my heart, um, <laughs> I have included it on this list. And that is Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Um, it's probably in terms of quality, the weaker of the first initial three, but uh, it just has a kind of exotic a unique feel to it that as a kid, um, I was drawn to that. Uh, it, it wasn't this typical type of blockbuster film where um, it, it was all about the adventure aspect of it. It really kind of tapped into this more cultural uh, type of experience and being in a foreign place where things are very, very different. And as a kid, I think that kind of awed me. Um, and like the scene where they are, they're eating dinner and they're bringing out all of these exotic food <laughs> items that they're like, what, <laughs> what is this? Uh, to me, I think as a kid, that really, really drew me to it. And then um, as the film plays out, obviously it falls kind of into that very Indiana Jones type uh feel but uh this film to me just it stands out among the other two because of my experience as a kid but i think kind of what you did with the lord of the rings you almost could put the initial three uh indiana jones here because um they were all of very high quality as a whole especially compared to franchises today which nobody really likes the sequels to a, an initial franchise. Um, and so Indiana Jones, kind of like Star Wars, uh, is a standard bearer for what a blockbuster is and kind of that adventure film. Um, and so that's why I included Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom on my list. I, I think I just wanted to say too that Obviously, George Lucas, creator of Star Wars, also yep. wrote Indiana Jones, yep. both totally original movies. And like, obviously, George Lucas went on to kind of do multiple Star Wars movies after that weren't as successful. And then a fourth Indiana Jones movie that wasn't as successful in terms of, you know, the critical response. Um, but yeah, I... I think it's cool that a person can, you know, have that much of a mark on the whole adventure 
sci-fi fantasy genre. Um, and I, 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 anytime something historical thing like that can happen, I think that's really cool. Um, okay, so my number, we're on three, correct? Num number three, yep. Um, uh, my number three pick is Skyfall. Um, this is where it kind of, I kind of went off of our original list a little bit. It is on um, the top 100 general, uh, the most successful movies for blockbusters. I just think when it, you adjusted it for inflation, it ended up falling off the list. But uh, Skyfall, was, I've never been a Bond fan, really. I've never really cared for the Bond movies. But I remember seeing this movie and it's got you know, some, it has a really cool story, you know, it's, it's different than the other Bond movies in terms of it's not like, there isn't the Bond girl that we typically expect there to be. Uh, it's Javier Bardem plays a cool villain in it. Uh, it's filmed really great. There's a, some great um, scenes. One of the, the I, I felt like it was coming, it came out at a time when I was really getting into like just the visual part of movies and the cinematography and there's a scene sequence where uh james bond is fighting with some guy in like a tall building and it's all silhouetted and i, I thought that was just a really cool way to 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 film the scene and um i remember thinking that really stuck with me um and then it's also got one of the best bond themes of all time so uh i i, I think even though it's not like this it definitely did well. It's not like this high tier of like a Marvel movie get successful. It still is, I think, had spectacle. It's original to me, even though it's coming from a lot of background material. Um, and I think that it's entertaining and that's what you want in a blockbuster movie. I, uh, I 100% agree. And this probably would have made my list if I uh, if it was in that top 100 with inflation, um, simply because it is uh, a perfect example of how um, you kind of can marry a drama with an action flick and uh, make a very, very high quality film that frankly, probably Skyfall should have been a best picture nom nominee and it, it wasn't. Um, but, but Sam Mendes is a fantastic director. Uh, the visuals in that film are better than any Bond film previously ever made. And it kind of changed the way that we, we think about um, Bond as a blockbuster type character. Um, yeah, it's an absolutely beautiful film and I'm glad that you included it on your list, um, because it definitely deserves to be there. Um, all right. So my number two, uh, my number two, I picked Finding Nemo. Um, and the main reason that I have it so high up on my list is number one, it's a great film. Uh, it, it, uh, Pixar always has made, uh, unique experiences that are very creatively based but the underwater experience that finding nemo has made it such a 
enjoyable experience to see for the very first time in the theaters. Uh, up to that point, no animated film had done anything remotely close to that. Um, and uh, it, it, I just remember being in complete awe of uh, just how cool of an experience it was. Um, basically getting an entire movie that takes place under the sea like that. Um, and uh, I think it was at a point in my life too, where I was, I was going to a lot of movies. Um, and uh, I remember, uh, I can't remember what movie it was that I was at. I was at some movie I did not care for it. Um, and so I left midway through and snuck back in to watch the end of Finding Nemo again, <laughs> um, because I loved Finding Nemo so much. I'm like, well, I didn't like this movie, but so I'm going to go see, see a movie again that I really, really liked. Um, and I think that it's become such a staple uh, that kids love Finding Nemo. And I've seen it so many times that maybe it's lost some of its uh, the awe of what it, what it is. Um, but uh, I think it's a beautiful film. And when you think about uh, it being on a movie theater screen and just uh, the depiction of this underwater world um, is, is a super cool experience. It's funny that you mentioned the underwater sequence of Finding Nemo because I remember seeing that as a kid and like it kind of scared me thinking I mean that I think that's sort of what it's trying to do is trying to you know demonstrate the vastness of this ocean and how the journey to find his son is going to be feel almost impossible so I remember feel, feeling like that was like almost terrifying as a, as a pretty young kid seeing it for the first time. But I like, I like the pick. Um, all right, so for my number two on my blockbuster top five, I have The Dark Knight. Um, and this is, I would imagine, probably on a lot of people's top blockbuster movie lists. Uh, I think that it is, uh, while not, um, you know, original in terms of what it's based on. Obviously, Batman has been done many times, but Christopher Nolan's whole take on Batman is original. And uh, I could, I guess I could have done the whole trilogy, but I think that The Dark Knight kind of encapsulates the best parts of the trilogy and what that trilogy is all about. Um, I think that Obviously, the, the performance of Heath Ledger, I think, you know, sometimes I question whether or not his death makes that performance, you know, even more memorialized. But I think even if he were alive, it would go down as one of the best performances in any movie of all time, because it's uh, uh, somebody who's totally disappears into their character. And um that is so it's fun to watch him in the movie even though he's terrible um it's interesting we when we talked about our top five uh bad mothers you know we, we like watching people that are bad you know on screen and never is that the case more than with Heath Ledger as the Joker in um the Dark Knight um and I also just wanted to say too with this movie is it's, it is a movie I remember seeing in the theaters and it's 
one that was packed a lot of people were there and like that that those are the movies that I do remember a lot is seeing it with a lot of other people and experiencing how other people are reacting to it uh, as you go through and, and, you know, laughing at the scenes with the Joker, but then also being horrified at the scenes with the Joker and the fact that, you know, Christopher Nolan and Heath Ledger were able to create a character that could do that, I think is so impressive. Well, that's a perfect segue because The Dark Knight is my number one movie. Um, And this is where the uh, craft artsy part of me uh, wouldn't allow for me to choose a number one film that I don't think is extremely high quality film. And Christopher Nolan, um, he changed the game. Uh, He 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 proved to the cinema world that you can make a blockbuster type movie that doesn't have to sacrifice the uh the craft of filmmaking doesn't have to sacrifice sacrifice uh in-depth characters that are more representative of real people um and the dark knight is just a great film all the way around, but also works as a superhero film. And when when this movie came out, it seemed like it was going to be a game changer and that we were going to be able to have more superhero films that are grounded in reality um, and that give you a reason to buy in. And I think that is the problem with the superhero genre is that in many cases, I just don't have any reason to care about these characters um, because they're not very dynamic. They, they are kind of stoic and uh, above what it is to be human. And I have no reason to really um, buy any stock in them because it's like that, well, that nothing bad's going to happen to them. They're not human. Um, they can they can survive this. And Christopher Nolan, I think, ups the stakes a little bit here and um, gives humanity to these people. Um, and then you put them kind of in that juxtaposition against Heath Ledger's Joker, who is, uh, in a way, doesn't play by any of the rules of humanity. Um, but because you can, and I think maybe to an extent, the further we get away from that movie and we see these real life people that are very Joker like in terms of they, they don't care and they don't play by the rules of society, um, I think makes that character even more haunting, um and upsetting and and then you kind of mix that in with when the dark knight rises came out how you had a mass shooting that that it was very that person that that shot up that theater um it very much was a kind of mirror of these types of villains uh and so whether or not we know it the character of the Joker in The Dark Knight is a good representation of evil in the world. 
And even though it seemed maybe as if it was far-fetched, like there's no person that's quite like this, that's not necessarily true. Um, and so superheroes for the first time with the Dark Knight seemed like they, they were an important part of this, this real world that Christopher Nolan um, created. Uh, and, and it made the stakes so much higher for why it was important that Batman succeeded. Um, and so I just think it's a really special film and kind of in the same way as uh, Skyfall, um, it brought some prestige to a genre of films that typically did not have that prestige. And I have a feeling that had the Dark Knight come out today, that it probably would have been a little bit bigger Oscar player I don't know that the Oscars were ready to accept a film like that. And frankly, part of the reason that they brought back the 10 films was to include films like The Dark Knight, which were blockbusters, but are also a testament that you can be a blockbuster, but still have the same sort of craft as the best films that come out each and every year. And I know we we talked about with Sam Raimi really I mean, he, he is responsible for the, the, I think, popularity of superhero movies in our modern times. But I think Christopher Nolan is responsible for uh, like telling a story that is grounded in reality and allowing uh, studios to realize that like people want to see heroes exist in a world that's similar to theirs. And while Marvel, I think, has drifted from that, I think the original Iron Man was a movie that existed in our reality, you know? Um, and uh, that is, I, I think it came out the same year as Dark Knight, so I can't, I can't say that it was fully influenced by the Dark Knight, but I think the, the popularity of all superhero movies is definitely shaped by Christopher Nolan and Sam Raimi. But, uh, you know, I, I could have probably put this as my number one pick, but uh, I ended up going with another Christopher Nolan movie. Can you guess what I picked? Inception. I did pick Inception as my number one pick. Uh, I think the sole, one of the sole reasons why I it edged out over uh, the Dark Knight for me is that it, it is a, an original movie, totally original idea, um, got me, you know, thinking about, again, we, we, I think we've talked about how Christopher Nolan definitely has like these exposition dumps in his movies and that is a problem, but in terms of just the creativity, he, he does, he does enough exposition for you to just kind of like get to understand the rest of the movie. And then from that point on, you're kind of like, okay, I get it now. I understand what type of movie we're in. Um, and, you know, he is telling a story in that movie that is fairly, you know, relatable because you have the Leonardo DiCaprio character who has this, you know, painful past with somebody. And it's interesting from a psychological standpoint that our psyche is kind of, you know, continue to haunt us. And then I will never forget the ending of the movie and the experience of seeing that in the theaters because I saw it as a, as a midnight showing 
and uh, like not seeing that uh, Turner topple at the end and hearing everybody's same vocal reaction to that. I mean, like that's a moment in movie history where the the storytelling has you in the palm of their hand, you know? And um, I think in terms of like movie going experiences, that's probably one of the top, you know, five at least movie going experiences I've ever had. So definitely um, I think deserves to be in any conversation of a blockbuster movie because it's just as the spectacle, it's original, it's got you, your adrenaline pumping and actually Christopher Nolan, this is true for Dark Knight too, he's got a great cast almost in every movie he makes. Um, and so that's why I think it deserves to be my number one. In Inception easily could have been in my, my top five as well. Um, yeah, that the, the way that film ends and frankly, the way that uh, until Tenet, um, the way that Christopher Nolan ends most of his films, uh, it, it leaves a little bit for you to, to think about um, and frankly makes you want to go back and watch it again in the theaters mm-hmm. uh, because I watched Inception multiple times in the theaters uh, because but I wanted to. It's not because it's a twisty turning movie. It's just because it's thought provoking. Right. It makes you, it makes you just want to ponder it more and understand what the, movie might be trying to say and it's i think it's not manipulative you know he's never a manipulative director well he he just creates a unique experience that that you've never been down before and um keeps you kind of on the edge of your seat the entire time just like what okay what's going to happen because it is an original thing um you don't know necessarily the way it's going to play out because it doesn't follow some some formula of well here this is how another kind of action uh adventure type movie is going to play out um and uh, i i hope that he can kind of get back to that because tenet fell short of being an interesting enough movie to want to watch again. Um, I'm not saying that I wouldn't watch it again. I just, uh, I think that it it needed, it it is easily his worst out of his films. And um, I, I hope that he can kind of find that magic again and maybe start to improve on some areas that, uh, have always kind of been holes in filmmaking for him. Um, And I think because of the way that he makes movies that you forgive a lot of those holes um, just because it's an enjoyable experience and uh, it, it is made at a pretty high level, but the further he gets down the line, if he can continues to just make the same type of movie where you are having those sorts of holes, eventually it's going to catch up to him. And I think it did that with tenant. Um, and so hopefully he can grow from that. Yeah. It's funny because last year in the run up to tenant and it feeling like it was going to come out and then they pushed it back. I was hoping it would, I'd be able to see it in theaters last year and then, we obviously watched it together at, at your house later in the year, but um, I think 
as I watched all of his movies before Tenet came out and I, I hadn't seen Insomnia before and I hadn't seen Following until then. And um, I, I during that, I kind of was thinking he might be in the conversation of some, one of my favorite directors because he's able to do a movie that I think can appeal to many audiences. Yeah. Um, I think there, he definitely has some problems as a storyteller, uh, but in terms of the craft, he's kind of top of his game, I would say. Uh, yep. Someday if we make do a top director's list, he'd probably be in the conversation for me. So I, I think he probably would be in the conversation for me as well. Um, Anyway, this was a fun week because uh, it, it allowed me to be a little nostalgic. I like being nostalgic when it comes to movies. I don't always get to do that. Um, so this one was fun. I um, love to talk about Spider-Man because for some reason I wasn't even thinking about it. And then when you mentioned it, it is, a, I would say, of the ones we mentioned, maybe the most nostalgic because I remember you really liking it when it came out and then it getting it on DVD. Again, it was probably one of the first ones along with Lord of the Rings that we got because they came out right around the same time. And uh, it's a great, great movie. Yep, sure is. All right, so I think next week we are going to take a week off. Um, and it's somewhat selfishly because uh, there are two movies that are coming out next week, but I believe they are both going to be more theater run movies. Um, and I am reserving my first time back in the theaters uh, for the June 11th release of In the Heights. Um, and so I, I am going to be avoiding Cruella and A Quiet Place Part 2 um, for the time being, uh, because right now the you, you can rent Cruella on Disney Plus next Friday, but it will cost you 30 extra dollars and I'm not going to do that. Um, for a movie that I am not sure is going to be that good. Although it has been getting some pretty good reviews. Um, so I'll be intrigued to see how that continues, that narrative continues to play out. Um, and I will eventually probably see it along with A Quiet Place too, um, which is also receiving some pretty good reviews. And I think we'll take next week off um, and then we'll return on June 4th, uh, that weekend, I guess it'd be June uh, 6th. Um, and I'm not sure quite yet what we're, we're going to watch for that week. Um, but, uh, we'll have a week to kind of refresh here, uh, come up with what we would like to review and an awesome list. Um, and then I know that the week of June 11th, we will do a review of in the Heights, uh, which will be playing in the theaters, but you can also catch it on HBO max. Um, and I am really, really excited for that week. Uh, I hope, I hope that, uh, that film lives up to my high expectations, uh, as I've been waiting for it for over a year now. So, um, I think that's all for this week. Uh, do you have anything lasting to leave with everyone? Go watch, uh, Army of the Dead if you like blockbuster movies and you're feeling pumped after hearing our lists. All right. Awesome. Have a great week and we will see you in a couple weeks.